Welcome to The Athletics of Business, a podcast about how the traits and behaviors of elite athletes and remarkable business leaders frequently intersect. The real stories and hard lessons to help you level up your leadership and performance. Now your host, Ed Molitor. Welcome back to another episode of The Athletics of Business podcast. I am your host and CEO of the Molitor Group, Ed Molitor. Now there is no introduction that I could do that will do today's conversation and today's guest any justice whatsoever. I am joined for the third time by my good friend and one of the most incredible humans that I have ever had the good fortune of getting to know, JJ Gotch, who previously joined us on episodes number 82 and 88, when he was COO of Ryan Sanders Sports and Entertainment, an organization and families that he has spent half of his life, most of, if not all of his adult life, working alongside and building just a great organization and, and for that matter, great organizations. And now JJ joins us as the CEO of the Austin Gamblers, the PBR team series, which we will talk all about. And you can find so much information about in our show notes. And I'm just going to tell you, this is one of the most real conversations. I mean, JJ had to make a big decision. We talk about change. We talk about decision-making. We talk about all the stakeholders involved in your decision, how to make it quick and how to gather the right information and the right input. They just share stories about building something special, what he built at Ryan Sanders Sports Entertainment and what they are building inside of the PBR team series, specifically with the Austin Gamblers, the people, the leaders, the bull riders, what they're doing for the fans, what they are doing for for the city of Austin. I mean, there's so much here. There's so much in this conversation. I can't thank JJ enough. And I'm just going to get out of the way and let this conversation speak for itself. JJ Gotch. JJ, thank you so much for joining me again on the Athletics of Business podcast. I am too fortunate to have you on for a third time, previously on episode 82 and 88, which seems like a lifetime ago. Well, I was hoping that I didn't bring the ratings down of the Athletics of Business podcast too much. Quite the opposite. At some point, I would get invited back again. But uh, no, yeah, no, you know, a lot has changed, I think, since eight, episodes 82 and 88. Obviously, the world's in a different place. Personally, I'm in a different place. But uh, both are exciting times, and I'm excited to be back on the show again. Well, speaking of a different place, congratulations on all your success and, and your new role with the Austin Gamblers as a CEO. And there's so much to just to jump into here. But tell us a little bit about your last year at Ryan Sanders Sports and Entertainment. I mean, 24 years, just an unbelievable run. And what the transition now has been like and, and what that decision-making process was, was like, what this looks like for you professionally family-wise, just everything that went into it. Yeah. I mean, literally half of my life um, was spent working for the Ryan family and the Sanders family and, and just an incredible group of people, uh, not only from ownership, but the group of people that we got to work with every day, uh, not only in Round Rock, but in Corpus Christi and a lot of the other events and the companies that we were able to, to establish. So yeah, it was an incredible run. 24 of the best years of my life really you know, formed me as a person, formed me as a business leader, helped me in terms of understanding the importance of community and culture and all the things that make franchises successful and businesses successful. But it was just an amazing run. And honestly, at the beginning of the year, I tried to do a reset, you know, kind of personally and professionally. And, and my wife and I kind of looked at, you know, what were the next 10 years going to look like? I had just turned 50 mm-hmm. and was looking to, you know, try to retire sometime between 60 and 62. And so we created this kind of 10-year plan and kind of you know got together with our retirement folks and just kind of walked through everything and kind of what the game plan and strategy was going to be. And then uh, about three weeks later, in late January, uh, that whole plan got scrapped. Isn't that what happens though? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You make plans and then somebody laughs at you, right? That's so life, that was yeah. that was definitely the case. But uh, no, just an amazing opportunity to obviously to, to join the PBR, um, the new team series, the Austin Gamblers a really dynamic ownership group with, uh, led by Egon and Abby Durbin uh, and a group that they put together with their home office and, and some new members, uh, including Michael Dell as a minority partner. So yeah, I went from working for you know one of the greatest families, not only in, in Texas, but in sports to working again for arguably one of the most dynamic groups in sports and entertainment right now. Can you talk about the similarities? I mean, you're, you're truly blessed. And I mean that in the best way possible to have worked for two just unbelievable groups, right? And we're talking about values-based, we're talking about work ethic, we're talking about loyalty, we're talking about creativity, just everything. And obviously that speaks to you and to what you draw, but what are some of the similarities you see with Ryan Sanders Sports and what you're doing now? 
Well, I think, you know, as it relates to really the ownership uh, piece of this thing and kind of who I'm working for, you know, is wildly different on the surface as someone like Nolan Ryan and Egon Durbin may seem, because obviously Nolan Ryan and, and his 27 years in the big leagues, one of the most dominant right-handed pitchers of all time from an athlete standpoint, one of the greatest ever, right? And But then you look at Egon Durbin and probably not from the on-the-field athletic success, but in terms of in the boardroom and on the business side, one of the most successful careers of any American businessman in the last however long. You know, so those things are, are, are a little bit different, but they're, they're similar in two really key components. And it's the basic styles that they passed down. And, and this is something that the Ryans were really, really honed in on. And it was go and find the best people we can, find the best talent, and then support them however you can, and then stay out of the way. Egon's the same way as Nolan in terms of he wants us to go and find the best talent, not only in the front office, but obviously the guys writing for us. And then he wants us to support them to no end in, in any way that we can to make them the most successful that they can be and we can be on the dirt and off the dirt. And then they're both very private. Um, you know, Nolan um, is not someone that, that ever looked for the limelight. In fact, um, the new documentary that, that has just come out facing Nolan, which has gotten rave reviews, the boys and, and really Ruth had to talk him into doing that. Uh, it wasn't something that he wanted to do. It was very private. And Egon's the same way, you know, and as much as, as we want to promote the fact and his success and him being our owner, he and his wife, Abby, originally being from Texas, he's like, listen, I'm not the face of this thing. Mm-hmm. He goes, I want you. I want our coach, our head coach, Michael Gaffney, who's one of the living legends in PBR. Legend. And I want our writers to be the face. He goes, I'm not the face of this thing. You guys are. And so in a lot of ways, those guys are the same. And it's very basic business principles, right? And you can dive in and, and really get uh, into the details of a lot of things, but it's really Hire good talent, hire good people, compensate them and support them however you can, and then let them run with it. And really basic core business principles that both, that's what I kind of grew up in over the last 24 years with, with the Ryan and Sanders organization. And then obviously now with the Egon and Abby and obviously Michael as well. You know, with Michael, it's, it's interesting. You know, he just wrote a book, got a very successful book out right now, Play Nice But Win, right? Mm-hmm. And so he and, and Egon uh, work together you know, with Dell and some different organizations. But, you know, a lot of those things, the, the core principles, you've been doing this a long time, Ed, you interview a lot of people and a lot of people have different approaches. It's kind of like batting and pitching. Somebody may have a different batting span, stance, a little different ways where they hold their hands, kind of where they set up. Same thing with pitching, but it all comes down to like three or four core principles. And I think that's the same thing with business, sports, and in and, and our related industries. And in, in, there's a few things in there I want to get to, but I want to back up for a second. They both kind of shy away from the limelight. They don't like being out front. They don't like the attention. I'm curious, is that because they're not comfortable with it? Or is that because they think that's the right way to be, to get into the background and let others be the face of the franchise? Oh, I think it's the latter, right? I think they know their role, right? And and they know what they want to do. And 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 for a lot of them, again, it's you know, these sports teams are just one of many businesses and one of many parts of their lives, you know, with the Ryans and the Sanders, in addition to having minor league baseball teams, we had a hospitality company, we had a turf company, we had Nolan's Foundation, had a small community bank, had a beef company, had all their land interests and ranching interests. And so there's a lot of things you can't be everywhere at once. And so the best way to do that is to delegate and go find the best talent. And that's the same thing with the Durbins, right? They're involved in so many different things from being on the boards of Twitter, Dell, Motorola, being the chairman of the board for Endeavor, all the different organizations that they're involved with. You can't be everywhere at once. And so just by, by virtue of time, you've got to go out and delegate and find really good talent and again, support them and then let them go do their jobs. You know, the different things about sports are is that I do think that we end up getting a little bit more attention, not only from the public, but sometimes from ownership because it's fun, Right. right. This is one of those things to where you can actually go out and compete. And for folks like this, they're they're even though they're they're quiet, reserved, and a little bit of private, they're competitive. Right. And that's the same thing. And, and you know, when working for the Ryans and Sanders, no one was uber competitive. Uh, Ruth, his wife, was super competitive. The boys are competitive. Um, and it's the same thing with the Durbins. They want to win. At the end of the way, we want to do it the right way, but we want to win. You know, we want to win. We want our riders to win in the dirt. We want to win on the business side. We want to sell the most tickets. We want to sell the most merch. We want to be the best brand. And so um, that's another trait that I think that follows along with really successful people is just that competitive drive. That whole drive to win, the whole that whole thing. You go, you get the number one pick. 
you hire Michael Gaffney, who is an absolute legend, right? 2005, I believe it was Ring of Honor inductee. Mm-hmm. Talk about what you look for, A, in the, co- you know, the head coaching position, and B, in those riders that you chose in the draft. Well, interestingly enough, Michael was actually brought on right before me, and I could not have been any luckier to have a mentor like Michael. Crazily enough, so Michael uh, grew up and was from New Mexico, but he actually lives here now with his family because during COVID, which was during episodes 82 through 88, (laughs) I believe, on the Athletics of Business podcast, his son's a hotshot soccer player. And New Mexico basically shut down more so than the rest of the country for for a lot of reasons. And, And there just weren't opportunities for him to play. And if you remember when we talked, Texas was a little bit more open at that time. And so they had the opportunity to come to Austin, which has become a, a, a hotbed in the soccer world right now, especially domestically. Unbelievable youth programs here, opportunities for young players uh, to play everywhere from the rec league all the way up to competitive playing for the Austin FC Academy uh, and, and everything in between. So they had the opportunity. So they moved here and, and brought Michael's son, Merrick, to be able to play competitive soccer. So he'd been here for the last year or so. So he was here, him being here and, and being able to kind of be here in person mentor me, shepherd me along the way, because for me, the business side of sports, it's pretty similar. You Mm -hmm. know, when you look at, you know, it doesn't matter if it's boxing, if it's rugby, if it's soccer, if it's baseball, or if it's bull riding, you know, at the end of the day, you're creating an event, you're producing an event, you're promoting an event, you're marketing an event, you've got sales, you've got merch. A lot of those things are are very similar in, in, in the blocking and tackling of them. Obviously, what's different is the actual component of what the athletic event is, right? If it's in a boxing ring, if it's in a a, a bull riding arena, if it's on a baseball field or a basketball court. So those things are different. And what Michael has been great with is really, you know, over the last four months has been giving me a a 30-year history of bull riding, the PBR, what goes into making a successful bull rider, uh, the operation of the PBR, because Michael was one of the founders. 30 years ago in a hotel room in Scottsdale, Arizona, he and 20, I think 19 other riders who just didn't feel like that they were getting the reward for the risk that they were putting out night in and night out, they decided to make a change. And they founded the PBR back in 1992. Each guy kicked in a thousand bucks. And Michael tells a great story. He said, he said, while the check wasn't hot, it was definitely warm. And it wasn't something that his wife was, Robin was very fond of, but, you know, he took a risk. He took a gamble, uh, pun intended. And uh, 30 years later, it's become one of the most exciting sports and leagues uh, in the world. And so, again, you know, he was one of the founders. He was a world champion in 97, Mm -hmm. ring of honor, as you mentioned, in 05. And beyond all that, he's one of the nicest human beings I've ever met. He's just incredibly patient with me in terms of teaching me about the sport, about the personalities, about the people that have made this sport successful, whose shoulders that it was built upon. And it's so much fun because for the last 25, 30 years, I've always enjoyed when people come to the ballpark and talking and, and going really inside baseball with them in terms of why guys are playing in certain positions, when they're when a shift goes on, what pitch a pitcher's probably going to throw, where the hitter's trying to hit the ball to make the game more enjoyable for people because when you know more about it, you enjoy it more. And I'm sure the same when you're at a basketball game and you're talking with people about why people are going into a zone or dropping into a one three one or whatever it is. Once you understand the mechanics of the game, it's just more enjoyable. And for me to be able to, to go to bull riding events, to PBR events and sit next to Michael Gaffney and him give me the inside baseball on bull riding, it's been awesome. He's looked up to by everybody from the guys that he founded this thing with 19 years ago, the people that have come along the way. And then the writers that we just drafted a week ago, you know, you, you look at the reverence that these guys have for Michael and, uh, and it's true. And they, they love him, they respect him and they're excited to have him as a coach. So how do you do that? Right? Like, well, let me, I'll get to that in a second. I want to back up and you talk about how he's helped educate you in the last 30 years of the sport and he's teaching in the ins and outs. How important is that to you? And you've shed some light on it, but how important is that to you as a leader to be able to tell the story? to not have to have the others tell the story, but you to be able to tell the story to your sponsors, to your fans, to the people that you are thinking about hiring, that you're recruiting. How important is that to actually have a, a good breath and a wide and in-depth knowledge of the history of the sport? Well, you got to know what you're talking about, right? If you're selling something, 
I mean, you've been obviously been in, in athletics your whole life and coaching, but you've been selling like, and people understand if you don't know what you're talking about. And if you don't know what you're talking about, they're not going to have a trust in what you're talking to them about and what you're wanting to, you, them to sponsor or partner with. And so, you know, the one thing for me is that, you know, while I've been in baseball for the last 25 years, you know, I grew up in Nebraska. I, I grew up in and around an ag family. Two of my cousins and, and my uncles were huge farmers. One of my other sets of my uncles were, were huge in the cattle industry. I think top 11 cattle feeders in the nation. When we were done playing baseball around July 4th, because there wasn't select baseball when you and I were growing up, I'd get shipped off to one of the feed yards for the, you know, for two weeks to a month before right. school started. And so I grew up around it. You know, I got to scoop out rotten feed, rotten feed bunks in the morning. I got to ba- I got to throw hay. I got to dig post holes. I got to go work cattle. The lifestyle and the ag Western lifestyle isn't completely foreign to me. It's just been a long time since I've been around it. I knew a little, almost enough to be dangerous, but I didn't really understand. I enjoyed watching bull riding and enjoyed the PBR, but didn't really understand the mechanics of it. So now, again, I've still got a ton to learn, but Michael's done a great job of really shortening the gap. And then the PBR from the league office have have created an incredible support system, not only for me, but for the other seven GMs and CEOs of these other teams to really get us up to speed on on operations and not only the history of the PBR, but what we're trying to create now as a league. How does Michael do that? Okay. Because he's so looked up to, and he's on such a pedestal for everyone involved, especially the, the riders that he's coaching. How does he break down that wall to be able to connect with them on a one-on-one level and to break down and connecting with you and to be able to, to come down to where you are and, and just communicate at your level? How does he do that? Well, I mean, one, I mean, in its very simplest nature, he's one of them, right? He's been a writer and he was a writer, I think, until his late thirties. These guys, they, they live a lifestyle and they have a job that is unlike any in the world. Mm-hmm. There's few people in the world that they can look in the eye and know that that person understands what they're going through. So he's a guy that literally gave it his all every weekend. And one of the unique stories about him is he talks about, you know, when he went to the NFR, and I think rode all 10 bulls one year. And I don't know if it was 90 or 91 or whenever it was, which is an amazing accomplishment. And whatever the check that he got was for that accomplishment, it basically got him back to zero for the year. He had one of the greatest accomplishments that a bull rider can have, and it got him to zero. And so he's lived a tough, hard life. He's broke every single bone that these guys have broke. He's almost died. You know, he, he's done all those things. And so for him, I don't want to say it's easy, but he can look those guys in the eye because he's one of the few people that can, and they're going to trust what he says because they know he's been there. And the other thing is this, is that not just Michael, but you know, I've gotten to be around some great people throughout my life in terms of sports and entertainment athletes and, and artists and entertainers, but these bull riders and, and the folks that are, that are around this sport are some of the, the nicest, most humble human beings I've ever come across in my life. And so they have a genuine trust for each other. And you see that in even when we were going to these individual PBR events over the last three months, that when the guys weren't writing, actively writing, they were up in the shoots supporting and helping the other riders before and after their rides. It's a very close-knit community and it's built on trust. So it's exciting. And Michael's, Michael's obviously been a core group of that, of, uh, of that whole community. How did the team series come about? Where did the whole thought process come from? with the PBR and going into a team series. I love it. I think it's an actually amazing concept. Was there another business model that you followed or was it, Hey, I really think this is some a way to take this sport to a whole other level and maybe get the guys rewarded financially for the way they should be rewarded financially. I mean, what was the thought process behind it? So really this was uh, the CEO and commissioner, Sean Gleason's idea, the way that he tells the story and I may get this wrong. So Sean, if you're listening, I apologize in advance. <laughs> was that he had cooked up this idea for a team series several years ago and really had had put a whole book together on and playbook on how he wanted this thing to roll. But the issue was, is that there was a lot of conflicting scheduling from commitments to Las Vegas with where the PBR finals were, commitments with multi-year contracts with sponsors of the league, uh, and a lot of things that just didn't line up to where it was going to make it possible for to, to launch a team series in conjunction with the individual season. And then COVID happened. And so that kind of upset the apple cart, as we all know, and it, and it kind of reset a lot of different things. 
And so they were able to finally figure out a way to work this thing in, manipulate it a little bit to where that they could do both. There still were a few hiccups and there's still going to be a few more. But I think what we've seen leading up to the draft and then the excitement on draft night, which was was just simply awesome uh, at, at Texas Live. It was one of the funnest nights I've ever had in sports. But we we have seen that this thing's a real thing and people are excited about it. The writers are really excited about it. I truly think that this is going to grow and elevate the sport. I think it's going to not only help the PBR as a league, but I think it's going to help the writers, you know, in terms of not only, I believe, compensation in the dirt, but what they're able to, the value they're going to be able to create outside the dirt as well with different partnerships and sponsorships. You know, I think that the PBR in itself was already wildly popular. The writers were popular. They had fans throughout the world, but now you've got eight distinct markets that are going to be able to, again, now work with the PBR and another engine to promote this sport. It's not just eight new franchises or markets, but it's eight really well-organized, well-run, well-heeled organizations. Obviously, with our ownership group with Abby and Egon Durbin and Michael Dell, you do a little roll call of the entire league and you go out to Arizona and you got Thomas Toll. Uh, and Teton Ridge, you know, big movie disruptors, uh, executive producers, several successful films. They're looking to do some really exciting things with Teton Ridge and that brand. When you go up to Fort Worth, you've got the Fisher family who started The Gap, several other prominent clothing companies. They own the Oakland Days. They own an MLS club in San Jose. You go up to um, Kansas City and you've got uh, the Pulley family and the folks that own Bad Boy Moors. You go over to Springfield, Missouri, or actually Ridgedale, Missouri, and you got Johnny Morris, who's the founder of uh, Bass Pro Shops. Uh, you go to Nashville, and you got Morris Communications, a big media conglomerate, really big in the Western lifestyle, Western sports space. They're going to crush it. And then you go over to our furthest east location and market, and that's Winston-Salem, run by none other than Richard Childress Racing and that group, and, and obviously the success that they've had in the NASCAR community. Um, the team's going to be run by Richard's uh, grandson, Austin Dillon, fantastic NASCAR driver right now. It's a great group of people that are not only well-heeled financially, but have got a lot of experience. They're going to be able to bring a lot of different things from different areas of sports into the PBR, into this team series, and help it grow even more. Well, that was my next question. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but the vision. When and how does this expand? One of the first questions that I get is after I get asked, what is the PBR team series and what is the gamblers? And I tell them, and I kind of go over that story. Yeah. Then it's like, well, how do I become an owner? How do I get into this thing? Or why wasn't I asked? And so I, I can't tell you how many wildly prominent and successful people that I know inside and outside of sports have asked to become a part of this thing. And I know that the other markets and, and GMs and CEOs have had the same thing. And I know that the league office. So, you know, I think we're going to probably try to walk before we run we'll probably need to get at least a year or two under our belt and just work out all the the kinks in this deal. Because again, you know, this is a brand new league. You know, when I came into baseball and when we launched the Express in 2000 and, and, and the Hooks and Corpus Christi No. 5, the sport of baseball has been around since the 1800s. So, <laughs> so we had a couple of playbooks to go off of. Yeah, there's a few um, stories there too. Yeah. So we don't now, right? And so we got a lot of smart people in the room at the league level and at the team level. But again, this is a brand new thing. So there's going to be some hiccups along the way and we're, that we're going to have to get through. But, you know, I, you know, it's hard to forecast this thing. And I don't know exactly where Sean's vision is. But my guess is within three years, this thing's going to expand to several other markets, not only domestically, but potentially internationally as well. You know, because that's the thing. This isn't just a United States sport. This PBR has got offices in Canada, Mexico, Brazil, Australia. It's a huge sport. You know, you look at the top 20 bull riders in the world during this last individual season, and half of them were from Brazil. Our team alone so far, we've only got nine guys out of our 12-man roster. We've got three guys from Brazil. We got two guys from Canada. We got Native American. So we're going to be one of the more diverse teams, I believe, in the league. But um, How awesome but is it, that, though? No, it's great. Yeah, it's great. I, I told somebody I was talking to somebody here the other day. I was like, we're like the Benetton of the PBR. And then I realized the person was like under 30 years old and had no I idea, had no idea what you're talking about. And I was like, oh, I yeah. was like, God, that was so good. It was so witty. And it, just, it, <laughs> it bombed. If they only knew. 
That's so fascinating. Now, is there on a global level or somewhere overseas, is there a team series or is this the first team series that you know of? So this is the first team series in this concept. They have done some similar concepts on some one-off events. So the PBR has got a product called the Global Cup, which takes which is taking place every year. For, I don't even know how long, but for a while, uh, it was just held up in Arlington in early March, I believe. They tagged it along with the American, one of the biggest rodeos in the world. And what that is, is that is a country-by-country competition. Mm-hmm. And so Brazil had a team, Canada had a team, Australia had a team, and then America actually had, I believe, two teams. It was a fantastic event. And it's super fun. And what you end up seeing is, again, while this is predominantly an individual sport, when you make it a team competition and it's five on five, now you've got four other guys that are counting on you. And so not only the pressure of you needing to stay on eight seconds and trying to get a great score, but now you've got other guys that are counting on you, but also supporting you. And it's so much fun. And, And you would see after these guys would have their qualified ride, you know, the other guys would would jump out of the chutes and go and hug the guy. And it was just, it was a lot of fun. And that was kind of the first, uh, I guess, closest thing for me to be able to see potentially what this team series may look like. How intense is it up close and personal? I mean, baseball is such an awesome sport to watch. Much different in terms of level of sustained intensity for those eight seconds and for throughout the whole day. How intense of a sport and an experience is this when you go? It's like anything else, Ed. I think, you know, if you watch an NBA basketball game on TV or maybe in uh, the middle or upper deck, it's one experience. But if you're on the court, it's a different game. If you go to an NFL or Division One football game and you watch it on TV or you're up in the, deep in the stands, it's one thing. But if you go on the sidelines and like when I went to the Big 12 championship game and watched Indomitian and Sue throwing around Colt McCoy, it was nothing I could ever seen in my life. These right. gigantic six foot, you know, six, 400 pound men running four, six forties, just throwing humans around. It was like anything I've ever seen. And it's the same with bull riding. Now, while bull riding in the PBR is still exciting on TV and in the upper levels of the stands, when you go down to the dirt and you see these 2000 pound animals, you hear these 2000 pound animals, you feel these 2000 pound animals. It is as intense as, as anything you could ever imagine. And then for me, on the fan, uh, you know, kind of ownership level, I guess I really didn't have the expectation going into this thing that that I thought would happen. And and I kind of equate this back to our Brian Sanders days when we were either an affiliate with the Rangers or the Astros, and going to the playoff games and the World Series games, and just the incredible highs that you would have after a win. And then just the incredible lows that you would have walking out of a ballpark after a loss. Mm -hmm. And during the PBR finals a few weeks ago that took place right before the draft and us knowing that we were going to take Jose Vitor Leme, the worst kept secret in sports in a long time. Jose was was fighting for the third for his back to back to back world champion. It's never been done before. He's fighting through this thing. He's ridden, I think. The first three nights in a row, and we're there on Saturday night, the night before the last performance. And Jose gets on a, a great bowl. He's about halfway through the ride, and uh, he gets thrown off, and he gets stepped on. And, and we were close enough to see it. And not only was I there, but my wife was there, and my daughter was there. And to go from the night before when he had a qualified ride, won the actual individual event that night, and we were high-fiving and hugging and just talked about the whole night afterwards to the very next night and seeing Jose get stepped on and then basically carried out of the arena and then to find out, you know, that an ambulance is coming, rushing him to the hospital. And then he ends up getting four fractured ribs and a partially collapsed lung. I mean, uh, it it just, I was like, man, I I thought I was going to get away from this, but, but we got sucked right back into it because again, one night, Friday night was the highest of highs. And then Saturday just was just, so down, not because of what it meant to our team, but because we've, you know, we've personally gotten behind Jose and, and, and just love him as a person. And, and my daughter was crushed and just, you know, to kind of, we had to kind of walk her through what was going on. And then as we were getting some updates that started to be a little bit more positive, we had to make sure and let her know that Jose was, while he was hurt, he was going to be okay. And so it's very intense on a lot of levels. There's no doubt about it. Now, I have a whole set of questions for you here that I want to get to, but where can folks find out more about the Austin Gamblers, about the PBR team series? Because 
Personally, I am making it my mission to be there August 25th and 26th in the Moody Center. I mean, I have a hard time trying to imagine missing that. I just think it's going to be absolutely electric. But where can folks find out more about that? Yeah, I mean, so the easiest way for us is austingamblers.com. And then PBR.com has got information not only on the team series, it's got our entire schedule for the year, but then they've also got some really great PBR team series 101. They've got everything that you want to know, and it breaks it down to its most simplest form. And and I'll get with you afterwards, because I know that you always post show notes. Yes, I'll get with you after that, because they just sent out some of that information last week, and it's awesome. It's great information for either fans that have been behind the sport for a long time or fans that are just joining on right now. We got a training camp coming up next week. Got a couple preseason events in the middle of this month. And then uh, we open up in Cheyenne at Frontier Days, July 25th and 26th. And we're in Kansas City, the 4th through the 6th of August. And then uh, I think Anaheim, then Nashville. And then that last weekend of August, the 26th to the 28th is when we're in Austin. And it's a total of 10 regular season event weekends. And then so you do go to every city like, once. So yes, so there's eight markets. And so we go to every home market once. And for each one of those home markets, it's a three-day event. It's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then we open up the season night, like I said, in Cheyenne. We go to Anaheim just because the LA market, it's, it's a big one for PBR. And then we finish in Vegas, but it's a team competition. And so let's just say for the three nights that we're here in Austin or any of the other seven home markets, all eight teams are participating. But it's, it's basically on Friday night, we may go against Nashville, Saturday night against Kansas City, and Sunday against uh, Phoenix. It's our five against their five. There's four different games throughout the night, two on two. And then basically, it's the standings, much like basketball, baseball, or anything else. We could go 3-0 and on the weekend, 0-3, 2-1, or 1-2. and And the standings are kept throughout the year. And then at the end of the year, when we get to Vegas, basically, uh, they'll be broken out into where you know, the first place team will be going against the eight at the, in the, at the beginning. So again, it's exciting to be on the, the front end of this deal and uh, to see where it's going to go. Once the competition starts, what are you looking forward to the most when you get to Cheyenne or you get to Anaheim? What is it? What gets you fired up? Because right now, honestly, Ed, everything. Yeah. Because right now we're working on every single component that you could ever imagine from the on the dirt stuff that really Michael's in charge of to the off the dirt stuff that I'm kind of really overseeing from the business side, all these different things that we're putting together from a team side, from a league side, from a hospitality side, from a premium side to an F and B to a merchandise. We've got all these plans that are in place that all of us, all eight teams, the league office and all of our league partners are working on. I can't wait to see it, how, how it all comes together. Um, You know, I'll be honest with you. I'm not, I'm glad we're not Kansas city. So Cheyenne is, is the opening event, but it's part of Frontier Day, so it won't be packaged exactly like a regular team event weekend. But then that following weekend, I guess, the 4th through the 6th in Kansas City will be the first traditional one. I'm just excited to see how it all comes together. I was nervous about the riders and how excited they were going to be or not going to be, and if they were going to be skeptical of this, because you never know. Change is difficult for some people. But the response from the riders on draft night, was amazing. You know, right after we drafted Jose and he kind of had to go through his media car wash and do all of his interviews, we actually got him over to our draft booth. We got him into the actual where we were doing everything and he became a part of our draft process. And it was awesome. I mean, and he was, he was super excited and he was giving us a lot of really good information on other writers and kind of what he saw. And then immediately after we drafted Austin Richardson and he did the same thing, we got him involved. And so we got the writers involved right away, and it was an amazing team-building experience, literally and figuratively, Right. because the cool thing is for every guy that came into that booth after we drafted them, not only did they know that Michael and our draft team thought a lot of them, but the, the other writers on the team, because they had a say in who we were drafting. These guys were jacked up. They were excited. We had a, a team lunch the next day, and they wanted to get to work right then. That's what excites me. On paper, we've got a really good team, and that's not just me saying that. We I've talked to some of the other GMs, and the good thing is that I think there's going to be a lot of parity. One, because I think the wealth of talent was spread out evenly. Mm-hmm. You know, there's going to be a lot of injuries this year, mm-hmm. and that in our sport more so than any sport in the world, uh, something that we're going to have to deal with. But what I'm most excited about, and then hopefully it happens early in the season, 
is after that first event win to go down and watching our guys hug on the dirt and then going and, and, and celebrating with them afterwards. So that's probably what I'm most excited about and just the competitive nature and, and watching all the hard work come to fruition. It's got to be pretty cool for these young kids. And by the way, they look so dang young. I was looking at the pictures of your team dinner or team lunch. I'm like, sweet mother, are these guys still in high school or what's going on here? And uh, I mean, amazing athletes. It's so physically and mentally tough. But I watched a couple of video clips from the draft. They were so genuinely fired up. And there was a trade that went on. I couldn't even keep track of what was going on when they traded like two and 14 for number three, whatever. I'm going to get it wrong. So I don't even attempt to do it. But I was like, this is, it honestly was an unbelievable level of energy. And it's so cool. And I can only imagine for those guys who have been in this individual sport, their entire riding life, now to be a part of a team and have guys that, yeah, they support me, but these guys legit get your back. Like it's not just a support. It's a, you know, we're not in this for each other. We're in this with each other kind of feel. To that point, and even in a little bit further, Ed, what I'm super excited about, and this is right in your wheelhouse, these are tremendous athletes with amazing determination, dedication, courage, bravery, all those things. But now they're going to get coaching on a daily and weekly basis right. to the level that they've never received before. There's opportunities for them to go in and talk with different folks from the sport, but they're legitimately, not just the guys on our team, but on all eight teams, um, because the eight coaches and assistant coaches for each team are amazing. These are the, the true legends of the sport. Um, almost every one of them has been a world champion in their career. Um, they've either founded or, or been a part of the PBR forever. But these players now are not only going to get incredible coaching from these leaders uh, and, and the foundation of the sport, but for like guys on our team, what I'm excited about is because in addition to Michael and our assistant coach, Jeff Shear, they're going to get to see how Jose Vitor Leme goes to work and prepares every day. Because Jose is, you know, I've not been around Tom Brady on a personal basis, but you read enough and hear enough to where, yeah, Tom has created a brand, but that brand is based around success. And he goes out and does the work on the field first. And he's a professional. He's an absolute professional and he wants to win. And Jose is no different. You know, this is a guy that's back-to-back champion, got over 700,000 social media followers. He wants to be the best in the world, not just for two years, Ed, not just for three years, not for five years, but he wants to be the best the sport has ever seen. And he is truly dedicated to that. For me, I'm excited for our other writers that are uniquely talented to be able to be like, oh my God, this guy's the best in the world. He could just phone it in if he wants to, but he's going to work every day. He's planning, he's preparing. And so I think the impact that Jose is going to have on these fellow riders is just as much, if not more than what Michael is going to be able to do for them. Because again, this is, this is one of their peers and to be able to see the work and the dedication and the professionalism that he puts into the sport. I'm really excited for the other guys in the team. And the younger riders getting coaching, this level of coaching and this depth of coaching for the first time. I mean, I've got to imagine they're just like a sponge soaking it up. Yeah. Again, I think you look at the nature of these riders. They're incredibly humble, incredibly nice, respectful. And again, they, you know, when you look at a guy like Michael Gaffney and and just, I don't know why you wouldn't want to learn from him. And there's so much to learn from him. And again, I I think that there's going to be opportunities to, to share wisdom, not only within our team, but outside the team as well. Because again, it's such a close knit community from the guys that founded this sport to the guys that are riding today. So I think on a lot of levels, teams is going to elevate the sport. I think from a financial standpoint, not just for the PBR, but, but for all the eight teams. But I also think financially for the riders, but I think the riders are just going to get better. The good ones are going to go to great and the great are going to go to exceptional. Right. Because one of the things when you talk to some of these, these lifers of the sport, it's almost as if the bulls have outpaced not all the riders, but most of the riders over the last five to 10 years, these bulls are the most athletic specimens you've ever seen. And so, you know, I think it's exciting now for the riders, not just, you know, the top five or so, but riders, you know, call it 10 through 60 to be able to catch up a little bit more. And so it's a really exciting time for the sport. And I'm just glad to be a part of it. How about the opportunity for them to grow as businessmen? I mean, NIL, is that going to come into play? Is that something that you discussed? Is that, it's just such a, I had a meeting about it this morning. I mean, is it something that's theirs and on the table discussion-wise? Is it something that they're cognizant of? Is like, okay, we'll get to that piece once we get through this part. No, it's 100%. And I'm not going to go through the whole convoluted right. kind of way that our, the business is laid out between the PBR and the writers and the, and the, and the team. But, but yeah, the NIL 
slash marketing agreement slash whatever you want to call it is going to be a very important component of this business model and specifically for the riders. Some of them have already got some pretty significant and lucrative sponsorship deals. But again, it was just based on them and or a small handful of agents that have been in this space. But again, now you look at the eight ownership groups that have come into this, the relationships that they bring throughout the sports and the entertainment world. And then you think about, you know, just I'll give you one example. Like, think about who's one of the best sponsorship sales groups in the world. It's NASCAR, right? And now to bring in a group like Richard Childress Racing, Austin Craven, Austin Dillon, who have been crushing that space for so many years to be able to bring that knowledge, not only to their riders, but to our entire league and to be able to elevate these guys. I think the conversations, we're going to have a lot more conversations and these riders are going to get a lot more doors open to them, not only for this team season, but then when they're competing in the individual PBR season as well. Now I've got to go back and I, and I have to ask this question. I would be remiss if I didn't ask this question. Two questions. First, what do you miss? I mean, you poured, like you said, half your life into the Ryan family and Ryan Sanders Sports and Entertainment. And you just helped build this incredibly vibrant group of businesses, right? Not just the minor league baseball teams, but the food and beverage, but the, the turf business, everything else. What do you miss the most? And if you answer the people, that was my guess, okay? But what is it that you miss in the day-to-day with those, those folks? No, I mean, you just said it. I mean, because here's it. When I go back to, you know, when I left the baseball field and, and went to the front office, right? You know, granted, it was a very short career after college, but I didn't really miss the game that much. I definitely didn't miss practice. I didn't miss uh, first and third drills or anything like that. I run in foul poles, but I missed the clubhouse. I missed the camaraderie, right? That was what I missed. Fortunately for me, I've still got a, a group text with my TCU guys and a group text with my Creighton baseball guys that we still keep up with. But it's, I think it's the same thing here. You know, after 24 years of, of being at Ryan Sanders, you know, do I miss going to the ballpark every day? No, because towards the end of my career there, that wasn't something that I was really doing because we had great guys and gals running the, the ball club. But it's, you know, to be in an office setting, especially really for the last 12 years with the exact same people. You know, with not only seeing Nolan at the end of the hallway, but his assistant, Sherry and Reed and Reese and Debbie and Jacqueline. And to see them every day for 15 years, we were family. You know, we, a lot of us, we grew up together. You know, we were in our 20s when we started and 50s when I left. So it truly was the people. And that's not just saying that to be the easy response because it is. That's, that's what it was about. And any time that I've ever left, anywhere, either Round Rock the first time they go to Corpus or Corpus to come back to Round Rock. You know, it's the relationships that you build that you're not going to be get to be around every day anymore. And so that's really it. Fortunately for me, you know, I didn't leave the area. I haven't got as much time to go out and spend and, and see them as I would like to just because we've been so busy trying to build this thing. But we still talk a bunch on the phone and and the relationship is just as strong now as it was then. So it's just that, but it's, it's like I said, it's been so exciting here that quite honestly, I haven't had a ton of time to think about it. Now, and then you, you transition over to the Austin Gamblers where you are now. The thing that blew me away, especially episode 82 and 88, when the time we were living in and the creativity piece that you had already established how creative of a group you were at Ryan Center Sports and Entertainment, but then the things you did, and we talked about this to grow through the adversity during that time, but now here you are, something brand new, something just absolutely phenomenal, so much energy. How do you take that creative mindset that you, you utilize so much and throw it into what you're doing now? Well, it's interesting because my mindset and creativity is matched, if not beaten by the folks at the PBR, because that's what they've done for the last 30 years, right? So they've taken one aspect of the rodeo, right? Which is bull riding, which is the best part of a rodeo, which is why they save it for last. And they've taken this thing and they pumped it on steroids, right? It's, it's this amazing sensory experience with music and pyro and fire and smoke and 2000 pound bulls and amazing athletes. And just, they create this production, this two hour production that is just off the wall. Awesome. And now they're even going to take that up another notch from a production and creativity element for our team series. They're building everything out from new dirt suites down on the, on the floor, a brand new sound system that they've invested in, uh, a new layout, 
knew everything. So they're, they're not afraid to, to push the envelope, obviously, with creating this team series when they already had a successful model going. So for me, I, the, the creativity treadmill was already going. I just had to jump on and be a part of it and just kind of add some elements from here. And, um, you know, as it relates to other lessons that we've learned, you know, I think the great thing for for me with uh, with COVID was that you can go to work and plan and there's a chance that it might work, but there's a good chance that it's not. And just all the work that you put into something is going to get thrown up and, and thrown in the trash, right? And, but to not get upset about it and to not dwell on it and just know that, you know, it just didn't work. Whereas maybe younger, when I was younger, my, my career already got hung up in the axle a little bit. But now going through COVID, being 50 years old, you know, just not getting as upset about stuff when it just doesn't work out. And again, we're launching a brand new team in a brand new league. There's been a lot of times over the last three months where we'll have conversations either internally as a team or with the league or with other teams. We're moving down the path in one direction one day and a week later or sometimes a day later, guess what? We're moving in a different direction because we just got some new information. I do think one being older, but I do think COVID helped prepare me a little bit to handle those situations a little bit better. Last question. You may transition and change and learning through failure seems so simple and so easy. And I know it's not. That's the outside looking, right? Like you go through the struggle. But senior executives listen to the podcast, love what you had to say, and they're looking like, what was the decision-making process that JJ went through after devoting half his life to an amazing organization, being very happy where he was, knowing there were still great days ahead, and identifying a new opportunity that involved some risk, something new, something completely different, something outside of his comfort zone and, and potentially his you know, knowledge bandwidth in terms of the sport itself and to be willing to bet on yourself. Again, no pun intended. Okay, Austin Gamblers. To be willing to bet on yourself though and take that leap. I mean, you talked about your wife and you had a had a meeting planning your retirement at 60 to 62 and all of a sudden you get the phone call in January and it's out the window. What was that like, the conversation with yourself, with your wife, with Reed Ryan, et cetera? How did that process play out? And what advice would you give? Well, you know, it was one of those things to where, as we talked about, it wasn't something that we were seeking out at the time. It was the complete opposite. We were we were planning the other direction, right? And so completely happy. I'd been there for 24. And, and, and honestly, I'd come up with the idea of 10 more years because that would be 34 years with the Ryans and no one's number is 34, right? So I couldn't think of a better Lovely. year to walk out, right? But it just happened. For me, there's there's probably a couple things uh, in kind of how I came about the decision to to ultimately leave and, and take this new opportunity. One was I felt like I needed to make the decision quickly and because it would it weighed too much on me personally and emotionally, and I didn't want that to affect my job, my current job. And then two, out of respect for this new organization, they really should have had hired somebody like a month before, and so they needed this thing didn't need to get drug out, and so. Fortunately, I wanted to move quickly and they, and they did too. And so a lot of this stuff happened quickly and I didn't get it. I didn't get a chance to just kind of sit and dwell on it. We really had to, to, to act quickly, work quickly, think quickly. And so it was a lot of just heart to hearts with my wife. And we just, again, I, I try to break things down very simple, Ed, because my mind is fairly simple, but this goes back to a decision of when I was at Creighton and I'd been there for three years and just gotten, I think, all conference in the, in the tournament team in 93. And then um, again, met Reed Ryan and had the opportunity to, to transfer to TCU. And so basically got the old yellow sheet of legal paper out, put the pros on one side and the cons on the other and just weighed it all out. And so similarly, I, I kind of did the same thing again and, and really looked at, you know, take the emotion out of it. What does this thing look at look like for me? After being at Ryan Sanders for 24 years, we were able to do some amazing things. And there's still some amazing things that that organization is going to do. I just didn't know, you know, me personally, how soon that was going to happen and or what my role may or may not be in those. I love that organization. I helped grow it. I was, you know, employee one or two uh, right after Reed. It was my life. And so the one thing I didn't want to do is I didn't want to leave it in, in, in a bad situation. For me, there was a gigantic comfort because Reed, after his stint with the Astros, had come back and had taken over the CEO role um, of Ryan Sanders. And so for me, at that point, you know, there really wasn't a guilt because the founder of the organization was back, the energy of the organization, the heartbeat of the organization was back. So if he wouldn't have been there, it would have been a different situation, quite honestly. But with him being there, I really felt like they had all the, all the horsepower that they needed and all the bandwidth that they needed. 
uh, to continue to keep going and grow. So I didn't, there wasn't a guilt factor there. So then it came back to me, like what's best for me and really what's best for my family. And so for us, and we talked about this, you know, I think in one or both the podcasts, I love, I love to build things. I love to create things. I love challenges. I love creating solutions. And what more, what possible environment could be better than to not only be a part of building a brand new team, but alongside building a brand new league and all the challenges and things that come along with those in a, in a wildly exciting sport. And then thirdly, not having to move. You know, a lot of times executives, I think, get amazing opportunities, but you get that decision of where you've got to move. And you may not be able to because your spouse has a fantastic job that doesn't transition to another community. Or for guys like you and I, we got kiddos in school. And do we want to take them out of that neighborhood, that community, that village that we've helped create with them? And so for me, again, I didn't have the guilt of leaving my current employer in a bad spot. And I didn't have the decision of having to move my family. And so again, it, it just got clearer and clearer for me. And then the opportunity to, to work for a family like Egon and Abby Durbin, Texans originally, but now out in Northern California, just an amazing success story and what they've been doing in the sports and entertainment field, what they were wanting to do, not only with the gamblers, but beyond the gamblers and the opportunity beyond this, getting to meet their team, the folks from the home office and their advisors that surround them. So I took all that information and then I, you know, I went down and I asked Reed to have a meeting and I sat down with him and said, listen, man, you're the only guy that I know that left something that you helped found for a potential better opportunity or different opportunity. And I walked him through everything. And, and, you know, he was, Beyond being a, a friend or beyond being a, my boss at the time and, and being a mentor, he was just a great friend and walked me through all the positives, all the negatives, the questions to ask, and just made me feel much more comfortable. And you know, when I continued that process, and it was a quick process, it became pretty clear pretty quick that this is going to be a great opportunity for me. Again, there's risk involved, right? I more than likely probably could have stayed with Ryan Sanders for 10 years. And so who knows? This is a new league. This is a, a, a new team. And we've seen what's happened with the AFL, the XFL. You know, there's been a lot of recent examples of teams and leagues that, that have not worked. And so there's a definite risk. But, you know, when we weighed everything together, we just felt like the opportunity to stay in Austin, be a part of building not only a brand and a team a franchise and a league, and then the opportunity with the Durbin family beyond, you know, potentially just what the gamblers may hold. It just became the right decision for us. Well, JJ, I am genuinely thrilled for you, excited for you. I can't wait to see what the future holds. Thank you. I know you're you're being pulled in a million directions for you to take the time for a third time. Again, ratings went up, not down. Okay. We went, <laughs> we're trending in the right direction. But JJ, thanks, man. I really, I really truly appreciate you. And Ed, I can't thank you enough. You've been a great friend and and um, you know, gotten to know a lot of different people throughout the process of, since we've met. And I, I'm excited because I'm going I'm to be sending you a lot of different folks in the PBR because there's some really just amazingly smart people uh, that I think are going to be some great interviews for you. So we're excited. We'll continue to follow the Athletics of Business podcast and uh, we'll, we'll stay in touch. Perfect. Thanks, JJ. Thank you for listening to the Athletics of Business. Be sure to give us a rating and review so we know how we're doing. For more information about the show, visit theathleticsofbusiness.com. Now, get out there. Think. Act and execute at the highest level to unleash your greatness.